So this is today. Today is yesterday and tomorrow is also today. You traveled through time to the present. Yes. Yeah, I don't think you get how time travel works. It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. I wake up every day right here, right in Punxsutawney, and it's always February 2nd. It's one of those infinite time loop situations you might have heard about. It's a thing where the same day keeps happening. Time. in a damn time loop or something well it's groundhog day again and that must mean i'm professor robert e.g black and i'm here with bubba wheat from it's time to rewind here to discuss groundhog day again still always welcome thanks it's uh, good to be back <laughs> <laughs> now i've had a nice string of guests it's going to be weird for the next episode whoever it is because i had danny rubin who wrote the original screenplay then for episode two, I had Sean and Dave who did Groundhog Minute. So they've already covered this movie minute by minute. And then now for the next one, I got you and you just finished covering this. I don't know when you recorded, but your episodes just stopped a few weeks ago. Yeah, right. I covered it uh, over the course of 38 episodes. Yeah, essentially for each, day. for each loop. So we're still in, what did you call the loop before? I, I started with... Because this is February loops. 1st. <laughs> yeah, I, I referred to that as episode zero or, or okay. loop zero. So I will also need your help as we get to the end of the episode on classifying time loop terms. <laughs> we're working together. We've come up with a few so far. In this minute, we are still in the newsroom. We make it from the desk where Phil has just joined Nan to still getting ready to leave with Kenny and with Larry. Now, I just said your recent experience with this film, but what about the early experience with this film? It's one of those movies that it's always been there. I can't remember the first time that I saw it. I would have been at an appropriate age to see it in theaters, but I don't remember if I saw it in theaters. I would have been 13. So it, it's entirely possible that I saw it in theaters, but I, I don't have that memory of it. I just remember it always existing in my memory is something that I'm you know I've seen a, a bunch of times on TV mostly mm -hmm. I, I don't think I never actually owned this movie on home video but you know I, I've caught it many times I look up as you say that to my two copies of blu-ray and my dvd <laughs> of the Italian remake <laughs> sitting right next to me <laughs> Plus, I own it on Apple Video. I own it on Amazon Prime. So wherever I am, I can watch it because I had to day in and day out for a year, including on several trips because I was at the time a coach for a college speech team. I had it on my iPad. I had it on my phone. <laughs> Groundhogs everywhere. Yeah. We didn't talk about her last time because she was barely in it, but this is Carol Bivens as Nan, who I think she does a pretty good job of fake interest. Now, I didn't rewatch the previous minutes, but is her name actually Nan? I, I, I was thinking it was short for Nancy. And we don't know her name other than Nan. Hmm. He, that's what he calls her. And there was no introduction. So I, I mean, in the credits, she is actually credited as anchor woman, I believe. So it could be Nan. It could be Nancy. And actually, considering Carol Bivens is not in that many things, that might not even be this anchor woman. 
that could be one of the reporters we see later at Gobbler's Knob. I'm pretty sure this is Carol Bivens. I probably figured that out when I did it for the blog. But she does a pretty good job. And he, this is Phil now explaining that he is going to be gone. I'm not going to be here for the 10 o'clock. Tomorrow is Groundhog Day. And I'm going out to Punxsutawney for our country's oldest Groundhog Festival. As you know, according to the legend, tomorrow, February 2nd, if the groundhog wakes and sees his shadow, we've got six more weeks of winter to look forward to. So keep your fingers crossed. Now, what did you look up about the science of this for your show? Do you mean like science in terms of the, the time loop? I mean the holiday. Oh, the, the <laughs> holiday. Yeah, I, I did do, you know, a bit of research. I, I remember you talking about the hunting at one point. Yeah, I, he says, I actually he dug that. into um, the newspaper records for the Punxsutawney Spirit nice. newspaper. And, you know, most places have the start date for the first Groundhog Day. And I'm 99% sure that's because that's the earliest record in the Punxsutawney Spirit is from mm. that year, which the number I can't remember because I... Um, it's 1886 or 1887. I forget which. Yeah. In the movie later, we'll see a banner that has that year on it. It's a gobbler's knob. Yeah. Even though in the, the very brief mention of that, there was nothing about it being the first Groundhog Day. It's just a short blurb saying that as of going to press, the rodent has not yet seen its shadow. Hmm. So the paper came out before the event for that year had happened. But Based on that blurb, it makes it made me think that it wasn't actually the first Groundhog's Day. It's just the first record, first record of, it. of it in Punxsutawney. Yeah, because the legend does sort of come from elsewhere. A few things converging. We have the Gaelic festival in bulk that is halfway between winter solstice and the spring equinox, which falls around January 31st, February 1st, February 2nd. That name comes from e Mbolg, which means in the belly, because this is when it is a used lambing season. And then you have Candomas, which is, uh, is this a Catholic thing? No, the Catholic thing is related. I forget where Candomas, it's some German thing. If there's fair weather on February 2nd, it means that there is a longer winter because according to the Canadian Encyclopedia, sunny days in winter are associated with colder, drier Arctic air and cloudy days with milder, moist maritime air. So that's the science to essentially the shadow part. Now, the groundhog itself does hibernate. It is actually more of a hibernator in terms of deep sleep than like bears. Bears actually get up a lot. They just don't do much. Its heart rate can go from 75 down to four beats per minute, and it can be below freezing in its essentially, in, or, or not below freezing, near freezing. And then sometime in early spring, essentially around Groundhog Day, the melatonin levels in its body stop flowing. And this is from Chasing Spring, a book by Bruce Stutz. Melatonin stops flowing and gonadal hormones start flowing. Essentially, they want to get up and have sex. Of course. Why they would ever then somehow be celebrating Candomas and Impulk and would go back in when they see their shadow, I haven't actually seen a good explanation for. But why they wake up midwinter has actually been studied. It's a mix of legends. Yeah, and also earlier Groundhog Festivals they did have groundhog hunts yep. where they would hunt the groundhogs and they would have a groundhog feast where they would eat the groundhog. Yep. As Phil points out later, he used to pull the hog out and he used to eat them. Yep. That makes everyone hypocrites. 
And he continues, let's see, uh, I forget where I left off on the quote, but uh, sees a shadow. We've got six more weeks of winter to look forward to. So keep your fingers crossed. And then Dan jumps in. Sounds like a lot of fun. You must really enjoy it. This is your third year in a row, isn't it, Phil? And he corrects her for Nan four. So we've seen, we, we decided last time that we think he is good at his job, but this might be our first real indication that he doesn't like his job, his tone when he reacts to her. I show his um, news reports to my speech classes out of context. And uh, a lot of my students are high school students, so they haven't seen this film. They're too young. It just hasn't come up. So they don't know what's going on. And I'm like, so what can you tell me about this character when they watch the first one? Like, he seems to be having a good time. Then they watch the next one. He's like, he's kind of a smart ass, isn't he? <laughs> By the time they get to the third, like something's <laughs> wrong with him. And then I have to explain the plot to them so they understand the last one. But I do that to show that, you know, tone and how you say things makes a big difference. It might be all you have. Yeah. So then uh, Nan announces, thanks, Phil. Up next, entertainment editor Diane Kingman looks at sex and violence in the movies. Stay with us. In my notes, I put it, yeah, in this movie, the sex and the violence are fairly wholesome and barely present. Yeah, all we get is the implication of Phil womanizing Mm -hmm. at least a couple different women. Yep. And him, like, in a heavy makeout session a couple times, but that's about it. Even when he describes Nancy, he says she she sounds like a chipmunk when she gets real excited. He doesn't say when she's having sex. (laughs) He's, He's not explicit about it. And I remember I wrote in my blog, even the slaps, they're not really violent because we're okay with women slapping men that are coming on too strong. It's like, that's a movie trope that that's appropriate. Yeah. So the only violence we really get is him hitting Ned and the explosion. If you think that's considered violence, it's definitely death and big spectacle. Even though it's presented in a very light manner. Yeah. Even that has a punchline after it. He might be okay. (laughs) Not now. We hear someone say, and we're clear. Phil immediately, he cannot get away from that desk fast enough. I I love how Bill Murray, like whenever he's waiting, he's doing the, you know, the side to side uh, in his swivel Mm -hmm. chair. You can just see the impatience. He's just waiting for that clear signal. And as soon as he gets the clear, he is out of there. And she gets him to turn him back, though. She says, have fun in Punxsutawney, Phil. And he says, for your information, hairdo, there is a major network interested in me. And that's when we get our good introduction to Larry, because he says, yeah, that would be the home shopping network. One thing that I noticed this time about this interaction that, that I think is very telling to Phil's personality is that Phil is off camera. He is immediately combative with Nan or Nancy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he calls her hairdo. He doesn't answer her question, even though she comes off as very sincere yeah. with her question. Like she sincerely wants to you know, wish him a good time. Mm-hmm. And then he's immediately combative with her and, you know, tells her that, you know, he's going to be gone soon. And then Larry continues that combativeness where he takes a dig at Phil And yet Phil with Larry, his response is, thanks, Larry, go wait in the van, will you? (laughs) And I think that that is telling with how he thinks of his coworkers, where Nancy, even though he's combative with her and he's not answering her question, he's still treating her as an equal because in his mind, he may be better than her 
but in terms of the job, they're equals. Yeah. She might even be bigger than him because she's the anger. Right. But Larry is, he basically thinks of as his subordinate. Mm -hmm. So in this instance, he doesn't even dignify Larry with a response. He just treats him like work. Yeah. You know, he just completely ignores him. It's like, thanks, Larry, go wait in the van. He just treats him like a coworker. Yeah. He's not even worth a joke. Just dismissal. Yeah. And then we meet as well, Kenny, who is played by Willie Garson, born William Garson Pazamont, better known for his roles in Sex in the City and White Collar, and who unfortunately, I guess it was a month ago as we're recording this, he died from pancreatic cancer. Yeah, I was, I was definitely, you know, disappointed mm-hmm. to, to read that because I, I was in the, the middle of production on my Groundhog Day season. And I was actually, you know, I, I don't think anything would have come of it uh, considering what happened, but I almost tried to reach out to him to, to see if he would be mm. somebody that would just, you know, talk about the film on the podcast. Yeah. But I never quite reached out to him. And then I saw the news and it's like, oh man. When I was... It's, that's sad. Well, yeah, by horrible timing, when I was doing my blog, that was when Harold Ramis died. And that was right after I'd gotten to know the location manager who had contact information for Harold Ramis and was going to like try to connect us. He probably wouldn't have been able to talk to me much anyway, because he was sick. Yeah. And then I feel bad for wishing it had you know, worked out better. And I'm like, I'm thinking <laughs> of what it would mean for me when people dying. <laughs> I don't think anyone dies in tomorrow's show. So <laughs> come back Thursday. Kenny says that was nice, Phil. Big trees, which... Kenny apparently doesn't have as good a memory as Phil does because it was very, very tall trees. And Phil says, stop it, Kenny. Look, can you handle the tent or not? So Kenny's going to fill in as a the weatherman. And he says, yeah, yeah, listen, if for any... Re-, and we cut off mid-sentence before he asks if Phil wants to rush back <laughs> or don't, doesn't want to rush back. Yeah, I think him getting the line wrong is actually fitting with how Kenny is presented. Yeah, it's funnier. he is... Yeah. He's a combination of a, as a, of a suck up, but he also wants the job, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the future. And so he's not really paying attention to what Phil is saying, yeah. but he just wants to ingratiate himself with Phil and be on Phil's good side. So he's going to make the suck up comment, whether or not it's correct. <laughs> yeah. Like behind the scenes, it was probably just he's responding to a different take. But yeah, it works for the characters for both of them Mm -hmm. that he would get it wrong and that Phil wouldn't care. (laughs) And again, Phil, he completely, you know, he's not, his interaction with Kenny is 100% business focused. Mm -hmm. It's just like making sure that everything is going smoothly whenever he's gone and has no interest in actual conversation with Kenny outside of a means to an end. Yeah. And after this, he's out of Pittsburgh. So this is basically our entire impression of what Phil is like in his regular day-to-day life. He doesn't treat his coworkers very nice, but he treats them rudely in different ways. Yeah. At least there's some variety. You might feel special (laughs) even while he's mistreating you. And at some point, I don't know if you looked into it. I didn't look into it for this episode. I will have to talk about another coworker of his, Stephanie DeCastro who was briefly, she was the scripted reason for the time loop. Maybe I'll do that for next week. 
right before he gets out of the city. Now, I do another thing on this show where I talk about a time loop of the week. Most of life is just junk, right? It's, it's filler. And then there's these moments when all the randomness turns into something perfect. It's like life's dropping all the bullshit for a second to show us how amazing it could be all the time if it wanted to. Hmm. I don't know. I think maybe we're supposed to become like better people. Though I honestly don't even know how that could be possible. Ever think about it, we must miss so many of them. All those tiny perfect things are just poof, gone, lost forever. But not today. That is a disturbingly inspirational idea, Mark. It's a perfect day. You couldn't plan a day like this. Well, you can. It just takes an awful lot of work. last revision is what counts apparently what if we found them all all the perfect things in this one town in this one day we could collect them you should know time loops pretty well do you have a favorite time loop other than this one one that comes to mind that i think is kind of worth talking about even though it's not a great movie in general but it has an interesting hook and that's a i believe it was 2009 it's called premature and it's basically a teen sex con and the trigger for the time loop <laughs> is whenever the main character who is a teenage boy anytime he climaxes that's what resets the time yep. loop until he you know learns which is such a stupid setup <laughs> the rest of the movie for like a teenage comedy is okay but yeah, the setup is just, uh, <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> I do like the fact that it was something that he could control because there, there's even a couple instances, I'm pretty sure, where he basically, it's like, oh, I screwed up. I need to reset. And so he goes into the bathroom mm -hmm. and resets yep. his own time loop by himself. <laughs> That's your new nickname for that activity, resetting the time loop. <laughs> So that one would be, that's not a Connor's loop because he can control it. We need a name for that. I guess it's a premature loop. <laughs> <laughs> Does it deserve to name a version of the time loop? Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Connor's loop is where it's a moral quandary. You know, you got to be a better to get out of it. The cause is not relevant. I'm also referring so far to a 1201 loop, which you haven't watched 1201 yet, I don't think. No, I haven't. The 1201 one. This isn't really a spoiler. He doesn't have any control over it, but he also, because it was originally a short film, 12.01 PM, and actually originally a short story. It's not a moral thing either. There is something causing it. And my time loop of the week would be Infinite Man or Primer, which is what I'm calling an overlap loop. Basically where you go back in your loop, it's deliberate and it overlaps the previous loop. So there's multiple versions of you. Primer is one that a lot of people know. It's a very complex, these two guys make a time machine and then it can only, you have to turn it on at the point you want to go back to. And so then you can like deliberately repeat that segment by getting into the machine later. And then they have time machines in time machines and it gets very confusing. Yeah, it's, uh, I've watched that for an episode of my FilmWise podcast mm -hmm. and that was the one instance where I actually, I watched it once and then we had a discussion 
and then I watched it a second time, mm-hmm. and then we continued to, the discussion nice. to see if I, you know, learned anything extra by watching it a second time. Infinite Man, fewer people would know. It's about a guy who is trying to, I think he's trying to get back with his wife. They're separated by reenacting their first date. For some reason, it's at this motel out in the middle of the desert. And whenever it goes wrong, he resets the loop and does it again. Problem is, he's still there. (laughs) And so he has to try to avoid himself, remember how conversations went so he can repeat those (laughs) correctly. And it gets very complicated, similar to Primer, but it's more of a comedy. Primer is more kind of a bleak sort of drama. It's, It's pretty funny, especially the more complicated it gets, where you're not sure which one of him is having a conversation with his wife and how much he has to remember what's going on. The ending was a bit dumb, I remember, but overall, I really like that one. In case this is your last chance to talk about Groundhog Day. Anything you forgot to say about this movie? (laughs) Well, I mean, the the stuff that I brought up with, you know, Phil and his co-workers wasn't something that I covered Mm. because since I covered it by day, it was a much bigger chunk. You know, it was like the first eight minutes or so. Mm -hmm. So I covered it on a slightly broader spectrum. Yeah. I think that's about all I have to say about Groundhog Day. I believe you were the one that prompted me to say I would do this, and I still am thinking about it. I'm planning to at least look into getting a piano teacher to see if they'll just teach me how to play the two pieces of music, (laughs) and that's it. See how long that would take. If you do go through with it, I'm very curious to see how that turns out. I need to come up with exactly how do I explain what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to explain the whole concept of podcasts, movies by minutes, ones, Groundhog Day, if they haven't seen it, the whole ordeal. So where else can the listeners find you when you're not here? My main site is flightstightsandmovienights.com, where I have written reviews of over 500 superhero and comic book movies. And you can also find my main podcast, It's Time to Rewind where I cover time loops, one loop at a time. The first season, I cover Groundhog Day. The second season, I'm digging into some Twilight Zone episodes. And I also have a monthly podcast, FilmWise, where I am introduced to a classic or a modern classic film that I've never seen before. And then my guest is introduced to a superhero comic book film that they've never seen before. And we discuss them. It's all a lot of fun. And I'm also on Twitter right now. My main Twitter at Bubba Wheat, where you can find all things Bubba Wheat. Thank you. And thank you listeners for listening. The Ground Day Project Minute by Minute is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for Minutia Ex Machina, every Wednesday for more Groundhog Day, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. Follow this show on Twitter at Groundhog Day MXM and on Instagram and Facebook at Groundhog Day Project. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com or join the Facebook group Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Till next time. Through time. What is wrong in the end which never comes? Or which comes again and again. Lap, lap, 
nothing. Like waves. How? I don't know. How do you sleep at night? You've never seen Groundhog Day? Yeah, you know Groundhog Day is not a documentary. Man, are you hungry? I haven't eaten since later this afternoon.